Well, if you have a Bible, you're going to be turning it to a chapter that you don't often turn it to, and that is Acts chapter 27, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the final chapters of the book of Acts. And we've been talking about emotional health and uh, really how Jesus uh, leads us into emotional health. And you're going to see this morning how the Holy Spirit uh, really uh, is, the, is, the, is, is the substance and the inspiration behind being able to let go, uh, let go and let God, you know, sort of let go of our tendency to want to control everything and have it our way and to allow God to lead and push and guide us where he may. So as you open up the word, I'll say one more quick prayer. Heavenly Father, as we open up the word of God, I pray that you would just pour your spirit in our hearts. God, open us up to receive, even if it's just one new thing this morning, God. Open up us up to receive your word uh, that we may be built up, edified by, encouraged by it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> I remember when my kids were little, uh, they don't do this anymore. If they do do it, it's like a joke because they're, you know, big young men now. But, but you ever go to the grocery store and you're pushing the cart, but they, they have those carts that have the little plastic car in there, you know? You got little kids and they want to go in that plastic car and they're steering the, the, the wheel, you know, but of course you're doing grocery shopping. And, and really, ever, ever since our kids were old enough to sit up, they always fought and argued over who got to sit in the steering wheel part of the cart, particularly my younger two. My older one was never really interested in it, but my younger two. And, 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 and they kind of looked like little cars, so I could see from like a two, three, four-year-old perspective, that was like the coolest thing at the grocery store, you know, to get in this big toy-looking car thing. And, and uh, you know, of course, they always fought over the steering wheel, and they love to have the steering wheel in their hands. They loved to feel like they were in control of that grocery cart. But of course, there came the inevitable moment, the moment when the kids are in the cart car, happily driving along, when they suddenly realize that the steering wheel doesn't actually work. It's a big blow to them. In fact, with my youngest one, Thomas, uh, he would get in and he would steer, and I would watch him steer, and I would steer where he would steer. So this is horrible. He really thought that he was steering the grocery cart, and he was probably five or six years old. He's still in the belief that somehow, some way, he's driving the cart. And I probably let it go too long with him, but I was having so much fun with it. You know, you know it, it, it's like I should have told him sooner. But of course, one day, you know, I had to stop and run and get something, and there he is. He's like, Dad, we got to get another cart. This cart don't work. It was one of those moments where I look at him and say, I have to break it to you, son. None of them work. What? Let's go to a different store, you know? No, none of them work in any store all over the world. He goes, what caused them to all stop working? No, they never worked. He's looking at me like, you lied to me. You betrayed me. You led me to believe. You know what I'm thinking to myself? I did, I did, you know. But he had that horrible moment where he realized that no matter how hard he steered that wheel, he was not in control. I've spoken with a lot of people who are near the end of their life or at the end of their life, and 
And most of them say something like this, you know, Tom, Pastor Tom, I, I had some dreams that I never accomplished. Um, I have some regrets that I was never able to reconcile. And I had some circumstances happen to me that I just could not control. In short, they realized just what my son realized, that the steering wheel in life doesn't always work. So the question then is, who is in the driver's seat? For my kids, it was me. I made sure that they didn't bump into another cart. I made sure that we went and got the things we needed to get. I made sure I was in the driver's seat, and I should have been in the driver's seat because I was their father. And for us, the illustration is quite apt in that we often have to get out of the driver's seat to a degree in our lives and say, God, I need you to take over. I need you to take the wheel. I need you to take this driver's seat so that you can get me where we need to be because where you're taking me is the only place I want to be. And that is the heart of being able to surrender control and allow God to lead and guide us through faith. And Acts chapter 27 is really a great story that illustrates that. In fact, it's, it's very poignant that that is one of the points of the story. The, the context is this. The Apostle Paul has just been arrested. He's just been arrested uh, for many reasons. I won't go into all the reasons he's been arrested, but he's been arrested and he has appealed to have his trial before Caesar in Rome. Well, he's in Jerusalem and Rome, I mean, that's, you know, that's far away today. It was just as far then, and it took, you know, it was a many weeks journey to do it. But because Paul was a Roman tax-paying citizen, uh, they afforded him that right to have his, essentially to take it to the Supreme Court in Rome, uh, but the trials that were trumped up against him. And so he essentially, you know, boards a boat to be transported to Rome. They had that, that technology back then. In fact, I was, we were speaking in the prayer team earlier this morning, and Pastor Bud, he said there are about 276 people on this transport boat that Paul is going to take, and it's a bit of a ping-pong journey, but eventually he would make it all the way to the port of Rome. Here's the thing. On the journey, they encounter a hurricane. And the hurricane blew gale and storm force winds for 14 days. So for 14 days, they didn't see the sun nor the stars. And it's blowing the boat, blowing the masts. And they tried to do their best to steer the ship. They tried to do their best to maintain some kind of control. But the winds were just too much. The Bible story makes that clear. The winds were just too much for them to maintain control. And so they made a decision at Paul's guidance. Instead of fighting it, instead of trying to force it, instead of trying to force the boat where they wanted it to go, they did something you'd never think you'd do in a hurricane. They took down the sails and they let the storm blow the ship wherever the storm would blow the ship. They took down the sails and they let the winds blow the ship wherever the storm wanted it to go. And it's really a perfect lesson of how to balance letting God have control. And that's the upside. You know, God, you're in control. I want to submit to that control and submit to that direction where you're taking my life. 
But of course, there's also, you know, we can take that to an extreme. And I've seen people do this. God's in control. God's in control. So they do nothing. You know, I know I need to go find a job, but God's in control. And they don't send out one resume. Uh, Oh, I know that, you know, I need to lose 30 pounds because, you know, I got some medical condition, but they never go on a diet, you know. So there is the sense that, you know, they they were on a ship. (laughs) They were doing what they knew to do to get to Rome. But they came across some things that were bigger than they could control, bigger than they could affect. There's nothing they could do. For 14 days, they tried, and all they did for 14 days was see the boat go like this and almost capsize. So finally, Paul's like, we'll fight this. Take the sails down, let your hand off the steering rudder, and God will blow this ship exactly where he needs it to be. Let's pick it up in Acts 27, beginning in verse 21. If you didn't bring a Bible today, it will be on your screen here. After they had gone a long time without food, which they probably didn't care about because at this time they were probably very seasick, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Paul told them not to go. Paul Paul said, we shouldn't do this. It's almost winter. The storms are coming up. We shouldn't do this. But they went anyway. He says, Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage. I love that. Even when we make mistakes, God's grace is right there with us. He says, I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. But nevertheless, we have to run aground on some island. Paul is both a man of extraordinary faith and a realist all at the same time. He says, God's going to get us through us. He's going to miraculously save us from the storm. But realistically, men, It's going to cost you the ship, and we're going to end up on some island, and we're going to have to make it for a little while. I love the blend uh, there. It's a a really wonderful balance, because essentially what Paul is saying is, when you've done everything you can, you've prayed, you've believed, you stood in faith, there comes a time where we must do like them. Quit fighting it. Quit trying to force it. Quit losing sleep. Let down the sails, release control, and let the winds of the Holy Spirit blow. How do we do this? I wanted my message to be on how do we do this. Does I search the Bible to and fro? There's not a lot of how-tos. There's one thing I see. The men and women of the Bible who lived like this and did this they made the decision to walk in faith along with their doubts or sometimes in spite of their doubts or sometimes ignoring their doubts. Sure, 
Whenever we face a situation that could go this way or that way, it could go one way or the other. We could get blown into the ocean. We could get blown to an island. We could get blown back to Jerusalem. Who knows? Whenever we face those kinds of situations, sure, there's going to be that little voice in your head that goes, oh my goodness, is this how faith works? Is this how God works? Is this how it's going to happen? Yes, there's always, there's always seems to be that kernel of doubt that wants to follow us wherever we go in life. What Paul did was this. He said, I am going to choose not to listen to the voice of doubt, but to follow the voice of faith. He made a choice to do it. Did he feel like it? Maybe not. Maybe he did, I don't know. There's a lot of people, they will make a choice to walk in faith, despite the fact that they're very nervous. They're very fearful. They're very concerned. They're they're very confused. And yet they still make the decision. I am going to decide to trust God. I'm going to decide to give him control. I'm going to decide to walk this way. And when I make this decision, I'm going to decide I'm not going to lose sleep. I'm going to decide I'm not going to live in fear. I'm going to decide I'm not going to live in doubt and confusion. You know, you decide one way there. It is probably the strongest act of our will we'll ever make to say we are going to decide to do this. Now you could say, well, in Paul's situation, he really had no other choice. But he didn't have a choice. He could have reacted in fear and in panic and, and the way probably most of the men were on the ship after 14 days of a hurricane. He could have decided to react that way. But he didn't. He prayed. God sent an angel. And the angel confirmed, you will get to Rome. You will get there. It's going to take a while. But you will get there. I have some stops along the way, not in the way you'd planned, but in the way I'm going to get you there. But you will get to Rome, Paul. Don't worry. And from that point on, Paul was able to set aside all of that other stuff and say, men, we're going to lose the ship. (laughs) And I'm sure that was not a fun thing to say. I mean, that ship was probably someone's very wealthy livelihood, you know, so we're going to lose the ship. Not an easy thing to say. But their lives were more important than the ship. And they all knew it. And Paul walked them into faith, letting God control, letting God blow that boat wherever God may, instead of allowing fear and panic to rule the day. There comes a point where we have to stand back and say, I have decided. I love that old song, I have decided to follow Jesus. It's a decision that was made. I have decided. I have made a decision that will now guide my behavior and my emotions. To say, God, I trust you. God, I may have doubts or I may not. But nevertheless, I am choosing not to act on those doubts or fears if they exist. I've done everything I can, and now I trust that you're in control of these winds. They may blow me in every direction, but I'm going to trust that they are going to take me exactly where I'm supposed to be. I can't tell you how important that last statement is. Because sometimes when life gets weird, 
you want to be able to step back and say, you know, life may be a little weird right now, but I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. There's something that is so peaceful in that that we human beings filled with the Holy Spirit can overcome anything when we have that sense of I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. A lot of times when I'm in a pastoral meeting and people are freaking out, it's not just the circumstance. It's not just the I lost this or this happened or I'm facing this or I'm facing this underlying they're looking at me and they're going pastor tom i don't even know if i'm where i'm supposed to be then let go of the rudder let go of the wheel and let the holy spirit blow you where you're supposed to be hey you may lose the ship you may end up crawling up on a sandy beach where there's snakes poisons but you'll be exactly where you're supposed to be and by the way the snakes and the poisons will not hurt you because God said you're going to testify in Rome so if you have a discussion sheet uh, if you want to grab it flip it over I have just a quick four points and then we'll wrap this up and hopefully this story will burn in you a fresh faith to say you know what Maybe there's some areas in my life where I need to let down the sails, let go of the rudder, and let the Holy Spirit blow me where he's taking me rather than trying to control everything and grip onto it as if God has said it all depends on you. God never said in the Bible, it all depends on you. God said he'll call you to do something and he wants you to do those. It's not a call for laziness or inactivity. There is activity. It's God-directed activity through faith, not fear-directed activity from our broken human hearts. So my first point is this. Number one, stop trying to play God. This point is really for me. I don't know if it's for you, but I have a huge struggle doing this all the time. I love to play God. I love to give God ideas. I love to give God advice. I think I have some great things God should do. I even know when he should do it. I, if I wish I could be God's personal advisor, you know? We have financial advisors. We have relationship advice. I, sometimes I think, God, if, if we just sat down together, I could give you some great ideas. But the fact of the matter is, in my heart, I want to straighten everybody out. I want to defend myself. I want to defend myself against everything and everyone. But the fact is, God doesn't need our help. God's not looking for any advice. In fact, God wakes up every day. Well, he doesn't wake up, you know what I mean. He gets up every day and he hopes, will Tom just let me be God in his life today? Will Tom just let me do what I, I, what I know I can do? Will Tom let me fight some of these battles today? And remember, you don't have to fight everything that comes your way. Look, Jesus needed a backstabbing Judas in order to get to the cross. Now, many of us who like control, we would have controlled Judas right out of the picture early on. Jesus was warned. The disciples were coming up and saying things. I mean, it wasn't like Jesus, Judas all of a sudden turned. I mean, you know, Jesus said at the Last Supper, the one who's going to betray me is going to dip the thing. They knew! Jesus knew. But Jesus needed Judas to get to the cross to save us all. Sometimes you need a backstabbing Judas to get you where God is taking you. 
Sometimes you need a jealous Saul. Remember, King David is supposed to be David, but Saul's king and Saul does not want to not be king anymore. So Saul's trying to kill David. And David's on the run. For years, David is on the run. You know what the, you know what the beauty is? David could have taken control. He had an opportunity to take Saul out. And he didn't. Why? Because he took his hands off the rudder and said, God, you're blowing the boat. And you will blow me right into my coronation in the right time and in the right place. It took 13 years. But he got there. And he got there God's way rather than taking control. <laughs> Sometimes like Joseph, you need another man's wife to lie about your conduct. Remember the wife of Potiphar accused Joseph of making a sexual pass at her. This is a married woman of an official in Pharaoh's household. But if that accusation never would have happened, and I'm sure when it happened, Joseph was like, oh my goodness, my life is out of control. I wish I could have not had that happen. Yet if that had never happened, Joseph may have never been in the position to interpret the dream of Pharaoh and rise above Potiphar and his wife to become the second in command of all Egypt. Sometimes we need a King Nebuchadnezzar throwing us in the fiery furnace because without a King Nebuchadnezzar throwing us in the fiery furnace, we may never know the miraculous deliverance of God with the fourth man in the fire. The good news is this. When Jesus is your God, the opposition is not in control. God is in control. If you read the Gospels, at no point during the crucifixion of Jesus is it all out of his hands and he doesn't have any control. He makes that point very clear to Pilate when he says, if I just ask, I could have a legion of angels come and rescue me. At no point is, 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 is Jesus ever out of control in that sense. When Jesus is the God of your life, the opposition is not in control. God is in control. And sometimes there will be storms. Sometimes there will be false accusations. Sometimes there will be jealous kings. And sometimes there will be betraying Judases. But if it's God who's leading you and guide you there, he will sustain you through all of those horrible things, all of those scary things. There is a, 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 a phrase I saw on the Internet that had to do with this verse. I, had to, I, I should have cited it. Uh, I, I didn't... I, found it and then quickly clicked out of it. I don't know why, but this, this, the phrase was this, and I like this. Strive less and abide more. Strive less in fear and control and abide more in faith and the faithfulness of God. And in this post on the internet, it says, this lady came across, this was from a woman's website. And uh, she came across this famous saying that are in a lot of women's ministry thing. It's actually on a shirt. You ever see the shirt called striving to be a godly woman? Anybody ever see that? Striving to be a godly woman. I've, I've seen it on a t-shirt. I haven't seen it anywhere else but on a t-shirt. Striving to be a godly woman. I remember when I saw that, I thought, oh, that's a, that's a, that's a good goal. Yeah, that's a lofty goal. I, you should. Let's all strive to be godly men and women. Until I read what the lady said. She said, you know what? Jesus never came so that we would strive. 
Jesus came to free us from having to strive. Jesus came so that we would stop striving. If you look at Psalm 46, verse 8, the Bible says this, Cease striving and know that I am God, that I will be exalted among the nations, that I will be exalted in the earth. The first step to letting go of control is to stop striving. We don't have to strive to make, out, make our life turn out a certain way. We simply have to abide in Him, and it will. Number two, confess and surrender your need for control. Every one of us, every one of us, I think I may have this more than most, but every one of us is touched in some way with wanting to control, steer that rudder, and, and, and you know, tell, give God good ideas of what to do. And if you're like me, if you crave control, the only way really to change it, or at least the initial way to change it, is through prayer, is through confessing to God and saying, God, I struggle with this. In fact, just in private. Go to God and be honest. Say, God, I, I struggle with trusting you. I don't know where I end and you begin with this whole control thing. And if you're having trouble surrendering just through prayer alone, take out a piece of paper and write down some of the things you're holding tightly onto. And then tear those pieces of paper and lay them on the floor and pretend you're literally laying them at the foot of Jesus at the cross. Say, God, I lay this down at your feet. I need you to take this from me. One time I asked somebody who attends a more liturgical church, uh, why do you always light candles? It's just kind of neat, you know, see a row of candles and all that, but why do you, why do you always do that? Now, I, I guess in a way when I asked the question, I was asking, like, isn't that kind of pointless? You could just bow your head and pray. And I remember she, she said to me, she said, you know, when I light this candle, it's like I'm releasing control, and it's just burning up in the smoke of the candle. And I went, I remember, I remember looking at her like, what do I know? You know, amen, keep doing that. That's great. I should light a candle. You know what I mean? It was one of those things where I was just put in my place in the best godly way. I say, amen, that, that you know, sometimes to do something physical like tear a sheet or light a candle, I don't know, do backflips, whatever it is, to say, you know what, this is me letting go of control. Because if you're trying to control the outcome, trying to control the time frame, then you're gonna live worried. But if you can release having to have it happen your way, then you'll get the peace that comes through faith. And then you will know that God is God. Number three, fight your freak out. Fight your freak out. We all have freak outs. By the way, freak outs are not just the demonstrable freak outs. Some of you, when you freak out, it's very loud, it's very boisterous, you're screaming, you're crying, you're throwing things, you're, you just, you become a hot mess, right? It's very, it's very obvious, wow, you are having a freak out. But when some of you freak out, you go catatonic. Your freak outs are almost motionless. You become paralyzed because of the freak out. Either way, Fight your freak out. 
in Exodus chapter 14 when God had led the Israelites and they were penned in. They were honed in on either side. They had the Egyptian army ready to annihilate them on one side. They had the Red Sea ready to drown them on the other side. And when God had hemmed them in, God was essentially saying, instead of trying to control every detail, fight your freak out and trust me. In fact, Moses says in verses 13 and 14, and I think we have a slide for this, he says, do not be afraid. Stand firm. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now, that's the exact opposite of what was happening. They were all freaking out. I'm sure of it. I wasn't there, but I can just imagine you've got a million people. You've got an army ready to annihilate you. You've got a Red Sea ready to drown you. You are in a rock and a hard, 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 hard place. And all of a sudden, you got Moses saying, don't be afraid. Just be still. Tom's way of saying it, fight your freak out and trust God. And then finally, number four. And this is one the Holy Spirit snuck into the message at the very last minute here. God's goal for our lives is reaching people. I say this because the rest of the story of Paul shows you that. Paul was supposed to testify in Rome. But you see, there were people that God wanted Paul to talk to along the way. If they would have taken the standard route to Rome... Paul would have never come across some of these people to be able to share Christ. But because of the storm and because Paul let God take control and because he got the soldiers and sailors to buy into it, they were blown in such a fashion where Paul was able to witness to the soldiers, the sailors, to the people on the island that helped him. He was able to demonstrate the miraculous healing of God. Paul got bit by a viperous snake and it did not kill him. And the wound healed. And so, I mean, God, God's goal for our lives is reaching people. Our goal in life has a lot to do with safety and accomplishments. And we often pray, God, here's my prayers to you. I want to be safe. I want to have accomplishments. I want to have, uh, uh, you know, I want to be blessed. I want to be prosperous. I want, I want to be all of these things. In fact, so few of us would sit down and say, God, I would give up all my money, all my house, all everything so that you could use me to reach people. That's a hard prayer to pray, and I get that, and I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad here today for that. But the fact of the matter is, in the priority of how God works in our life, us reaching people is more important to him than all those other things. Because God knows how to get us food. God knows how to get us a house. God knows how to, those things are not hard for him. They seem hard for us. And we strive to get all those things because they provide safety and a modicum of stability that makes us feel stable. But the fact of the matter is there are going to be times when God throws you in jail so you can reach the jailer. There are going to be times where God says, you're not going to go to Asia. You're going to go to Macedonia because you're going to talk to Lydia. Where God says, you're not going to go up the coast of Turkey and hit Rome. I'm going to blow you to the island of Malta. In each of those cases, particularly in Paul's life, by the way, Paul was always provided for. Paul didn't die of starvation. 
Paul didn't die of the elements because he was out in the cold and homeless. Uh, Paul didn't die because he was... God provided all of those things we freak out about so much. God, Paul, Paul even says, as a minister, he's a pastor, he says, there have been times when I've been rich. There have been times when I've been poor. But through all of those, I have learned to be content in Christ. Sometimes God will give me a little more. Sometimes God won't give me so much. In either way, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So here is the, the, the goal that God has for you. The prime reason why he would say, I want you to give it up to me. I want you to give up control. Is that there are going to be people that God wants to intersect with you. And you're going to tell them. You tell them about Jesus. Hopefully you're going to tell them about Life Point Church. You tell them about the power of prayer. You're going to tell them about the faithfulness of God. You're going to tell them about the reality of God. I can't believe it is ever growing that people look out on the earth and say, it just happened. It's the stupidest idea I've ever heard in my life. You cannot look at earth and think they didn't have a creator. And yet that's how blinded people are getting. It just happened. They don't, can't tell you how it just happened. They just believe it just happened. At least we can tell you how it happened. And so, know this. God cares about your house. He cares about your cars. He cares about your health. He cares that you eat. He cares about all of that. I'm not saying he doesn't. But remember, there are going to be times where God will care more about you reaching a person than about all those other things. And in that moment, that will be the greatest test of releasing control and letting God blow you where he may. And for us, he will most likely blow you to a person. Right? We're all landlocked, right? <laughs> so he will blow you to a person. And that person is the person that God wants you to minister in Jesus' name that day. Amen? Before we close today, like to just have a moment where we respond to the message together if you you've been touched by this and you and you want to have the Holy Spirit blow you around then just repeat after me say Lord Jesus I let go of the rudder I take down the sails and I ask Fill me with the Holy Spirit and blow me wherever you will. Because where you take me, you will sustain me. And where you take me is where I'm supposed to be. So I reaffirm that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. Thank you. For forgiving my sins and fill me with the Holy Spirit and with peace. In Jesus' name, amen.